Welcome to The 5.9, the official podcast of the Fierce Telecom and Technology Group. Join us each week for the latest insights on 5G, millimeter wave, AI, electronics, sensors, networking, infrastructure, and more in the communications and technology space. All right, welcome everyone to another week of this third season of the 5.9 podcast, the Fierce Telecom podcast presented by me. Alejandro Piñero. And as always, this week, we have an absolutely fascinating guest, someone who has been in the industry and has lots to say. I'm joined by Andrew Coward. He's IBM's GM of Software Defined Network Networking. Uh, Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Delighted to be here. Well, Andrew, we have a lot to get through. Um, but perhaps before we, we get into that, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, and, and you know, I think a lot of people might be familiar already. So, more specifically, what what you work on, what keeps you busy these days? Yeah, so um, I'm responsible for software networking here at IBM. I I joined IBM a couple of years ago, and we've really been on a mission to put IBM you know into software networking in a really meaningful way through organic development, through acquisitions, and really we see this in our role um, as IBM at this kind of juncture between telco land, if you like, if I can call it that, and the enterprise networking and IT and, and how those things really need to come together in, in a meaningful way um, to deliver uh, you know, what's largely services now that are not inside the enterprise's control. So that's kind of been the ambition of, um, of what we set out to do. Excellent. And I, I have a lot of questions ar- around what that means. But before we, we get, you know, stuck into the technology and all the opportunities that, that as, you know, software defined networking and, and AI and all these wonderful things that we're building into today's telco world. I wanted to, to ask you specifically about MWC, about Barcelona. We all seem to take a collective pause as an industry to make sure we have everything launched or launching we're coming out or about to come out and ready to talk about in, in, in Barcelona. We're speaking here just a few days before the start of the show. Our listeners will, will probably listen to this either on the plane on the way there or while they walk uh, their way to the taxis. Or if they're not there, well, they'll, they'll try to find out a little bit of what's going on. So can you tell me, you know, personally, what are you most excited about uh, when you think about MWC in a couple of weeks? Right. I mean, for me, it's, it's a show I, I love and hate in kind of equal measure. I, I, I love being there. I love uh, all the interactions and meeting people. And, and I hate just being so totally tired, you know, at the end of every day and exhausted when I get home. Um, but I think, you know, this year we've got a very serious um, challenge, I think, as a telco industry, which is that uh, the, the growth of revenue and profits for, for telco really has to come from enterprises. Um, we've kind of uh, done what we can, if you like, with consumers. We say so here in the US, I think we're we're kind of fixed on the twenty five dollars per month type device costs, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, fees. And so um, it, it really is a function of the next billion devices that come onto the network are going to be on a factory floor. They're going to be in a retail store. They're going to be in a bank. They're going to be in a, um, a port or a mining environment. And how are we going to support those things? And what does that look like from an end-to-end ecosystem perspective? Uh, and um, kind of you take that challenge, right? And you take the second challenge, which is really, to a large extent, enterprises have lost control of their networks. 
What I mean by that is that you know, so much is done in the cloud, right? Those global MPLS networks that were built with telcos, what relevance do they have when everything's done to a cloud service um, and you know the internal intranet is left for a few things that you know, didn't migrate or couldn't migrate, right? It's, it, it's, it's a kind of fascinating world. So um, what I'm hoping, expecting is that, that there's some kind of answers to this, um, th- these challenges, right? Um, in, in two dimensions, one, one really, how will the ecosystem come together from the eSIM technology, which we talked a lot about at Mobile Congress in past years, um, the onboarding of those devices through to um, the, the mix of private and public 5G. I think we're going to hear a lot about private 5G and all the excitement around that. Well, those devices are going to have to live in both worlds, right? Um, and, and we're trying to get away from what I call the Wi-Fi management problem of having to manually configure things when they go on the network, right? I mean, how do you do that with tens of thousands of devices? So that onboarding process between public and private 5G, and then where do those devices go? How does that map into the cloud? And um, you know, what services are they offered? How do you drive security around that? And the other topic, which you know, I, I think um, deservedly so, hasn't got a great press um, in, in, in certainly outcomes has been network slicing. You know, we, we talk about that again and again. And I actually think that network slicing is a, is a security um, opportunity by locking in devices and systems into a cloud provider or a cloud service and making sure that the public internet and other other things that we want to get at that are just not able to access those devices. So I think we're make, missing a trick with all the things we might want to do with low latency or, or high throughput services. Hey, let's just focus on using this technology in the first instance for, as a security layer within the network. And, and that's, that's an opportunity. So, so lots of things, and, and I think if you walk around the show, it's like, can you tie all these things, these things together in your head, or are there other providers there that have kind of laid out this ecosystem end to end? Given that you know we we tend to be very specialized and very focused, um, you know, at one thing or another, but not this overall ecosystem piece. And in many kinds, yeah, I think it's left to telcos to try and put it all together. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, you know a lot of what you say is a lot of what. I know MWC is, is trying to, to do, which is obviously bring the enterprise more into that conversation because, you know, that in the end, that's where the opportunity is for for the telco world um, in order to, to grow revenue and services. Um, so that'll be fascinating to see how it, it uh, falls down. And, you know, I wanted to ask, obviously, these are, are big trends from the industry. Um, IBM plays a unique role, right? Because you, you have that interaction you know, the cloud, but you work with the telcos, you work with enterprises, you kind of sit in that in that sort of privileged position that you have, uh, you know, a role to play in both of them. So before, you know, again, in talking about the tech, specifically for IBM, here's where I try to, you know, trick into giving us a scoop here. And I'm sure you'll, you know, you're PR trained, so you won't, but anything that we should look out for specifically um, from IBM during during the show. Yeah, I, I think, you know, from our strategy perspective and, and what, you know, the, the direction we're taking in, in networking is to solve or, you know, work on solving a, a, a number of things that we think are really hard. Um, the first one I'd say is the orchestration problem. Um, and that orchestration problem tends today to be very siloed. Like, I can automate and orchestrate the radio or the transport or the core, but I can't tie all of these things together. Um, 
And that actually, you know, the network slicing conversation is perfect for that, right? You, you go to a radio person and they'll tell you slicing is about 2,000 tunable parameters they can put on the radio. You go to a transport person and they'll tell you it's about carving out a lambda or sub lambda. And, and so it's like, you know, blind people, you know, describing elephant, right? By, by examining different parts. So that orchestration conversation is really about how do you provide a service end to end so that you can link right from the onboarding of the IoT device all the way to um, the cloud that it, it, it's supposed to connect to and do all of the stitching, all those things that sit in between that. Now, last year we did see, as an industry, quite a number of RFPs that were starting to look at this kind of Uber orchestration problem. Um, and so for us, we, we think we're ideally placed to help with that um, because of some of the technology we've, we've built um, and then some of the networks that we've actually deployed around this paradigm and dish networks is a good example um here in the us um also you know, telephonic in spain we work very closely with them and that that kind of sets that agenda for how these services come together so that orchestration is one bucket the second bucket is visibility um and that visibility is something again that you know you look at and say well i, I i've got the radio visibility i've got the core visibility i've got but this end-to-end -end, what does it mean for an application or service to run across this end-to-end -end, all the way from the device to the cloud that it connects to and how do you prove that that one piece or the other is is or isn't broken um, and then the third area and, and it kind of extends to what well, how do you manage for the cloud connectivity pieces and to end now um i'll give an example for most telcos um today if a customer that already has a circuit in place connectivity in, in place says, can you connect me to AWS? It will take them about four weeks to go do that. And in the middle of that process, they will ask the customer for their credentials for AWS. Like, give me your password. Like, that's crazy. Right. Um, now, you think it's bad enough with fixed line. Think how difficult it's going to be with, with 5G. And I'd say, I now want you know, my private 5G, my public 5G to overlap, and I want you know, these services to go to AWS and these to Azure. And so... Um, you know, in many ways, telcos have been um, disintermediated by you know, um, folks like Equinix, who quite rightly, you know, seems that we've got the connectivity on, so we can go, to, we can go do those things, and we can provision them in seconds and not not hours, days, or weeks. Um, and so, getting that level of automation and visibility back into telcos is, is is really important, and that onward connectivity, if you like, to the cloud, and not just you know to one cloud, but to multiple clouds and in between the clouds. So for all of the fun and excitement we're, we're having here at IBM, you're going to see us you know, develop products in that space, um, make acquisitions along the way. Um, we've built um, this kind of hybrid of, of acquisition and organic development, which I love mm -hmm. so much, the acquisitions you've seen us do. Um, so Serve One, uh, for example, uh, Volta was another. Um, and, you know, they're, they're small enough that we can take the core of the technology and, and build on a, on, a, on, a, on a bigger design, a bigger outcome for our customers. Yeah, no, that, that's great. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing that all, all in action. Now, let me um, shift over then away from, from Barcelona and just broadly, right? So you, you've mentioned quite a few trends that you're seeing right now, multi-cloud and cloud, AI, in terms of, um, uh, you know, network slicing and the security element there. Is this what's making AI a, a kind of the I don't want to say revival, because but AI, it's something we've talked about a lot, and it's something that we've heard about it when it comes to networks for a while, right? And yes. I, I mean, first, I think it's fascinating at IBM that was traditionally a hardware company. Obviously, there's a strategic importance there 
to have you uh, in terms of a uh, leading a software defined networking group. Right. Um, so there, there has to be that interest there in the topic and, and the technology and that opportunity there. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about why is now really a, a critical time uh, for for this? Is it 5G? Is it just because of the complexity? What's what's making this tick um, at this point in time? Yeah, I, I, so, I mean, AI obviously means a lot of um, different things to different people right now. I think in networking, um, we've, uh, and just kind of AI in general in, in our world, has gone from identifying things, right? So using AI to say, I recognize this as a cat or a dog or in network terms, I recognize this as the, these types of packets <laughs> going to these locations and, and um, being able to do that, you know, with some aided learning for it to informing us, right? So I, I, I find this problem. I've seen this and this is what it means. So we spend a lot of time on that, that kind of problem. To the third area, um, which is really where some of these new algorithms and certainly the, the value of AI is starting to come forward, which is prediction. So if I can predict what's going to happen in my network as a consequence of the things that I see, then I can do something about it before it happens versus remediating after the fact. So it's one thing to say, to use AI to say, I know what to do when this broke. Wouldn't you like to kind of get ahead of that? And, and this is kind of driven also by a lot more complexity, obviously, in, in networking as we've gone virtual. You know, it used to be when a box failed, right? It was very evident. It just died and, you know, you had to send somebody to go fix it, and maybe there was a path that went around it, but you knew, and a, and a kind of red alarm flashed in the in the data center and or the, the, the operation center, and you knew what to do. Now it's a lot more subtle. You might have five or six virtual load balancers all looking after traffic coming in, and one might fail or one might go down. And the other five are working. Nobody notices, mm-hmm. um, and you might get an alarm, but after all the other thousands of alarms, you know, is that the one that's important? But with predictive AI in the picture, you can now say after everything we know, you don't have a problem right now, but come 9 a.m. on Monday morning, when we see this t- this traffic start to come in, then you're going to see this latency hit and this delayed response to your customers. Um, so those are the ways that AI can really um, start you know, providing answers in this kind of heterogeneous, pretty complex environment by assessing things kind of end to end. Now, of course, we still need lots of data, and the data um, that comes out of different devices over time um, is, is is complex, right? And so one of the things we spent a lot of time on is um, organizing and sorting data from many different locations. It's one thing to say I can apply algorithms, that's great, but you've got to get good, consistent data, whether that's from traditional SNMP through to syslog and GRCP, and you can probably list like 10, 15 different sources of data that actually need to be fed into these these models. Um, and the other the thing that's kind of late, related to this, which is a hard problem, you know, that we spend a lot of time on is, is, is kind of baselining, particularly in a security context, right? What is normal? And what's normal today might include a whole load of nasty things going on in your network that you, you don't want to happen, but you've baselined the network and hey, it's it's normal. It's remarkable how much internal, they, how many internal failures and problems happen within within large networks, you know, not just telcos, but large enterprises and indeed the cloud providers, right? So having the sensors in place that say, you know what, um, when I'm moving traffic now between AWS and Azure, um, it's best to use AWS right now. It's better to use a telco right now and being mm-hmm. able to kind of pick 
this technology and use that in the wide areas starts to become important to these kind of real-time and then predictive decision-making that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really how we're applying AI into, into this world. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I mean, this might be completely different, but, you know, I, I was reading about digital twins. Is that something also that fits into that strategy in terms of building out a network and figuring out where that, you know, predictability, that's where right. you can find those potential faults, all that. So is that a way of implementing that in a way? Um, it, it certainly is. Um, you know, we, we see digital twins as um, being able a lot being used in how to um, apply changes or patches or different things into the network and testing them on a model first before you deploy them. Right? If I take out two load balances out of my network because I, I don't want to pay for them, right? What happens? Mm -hmm. um, so being able to use that model to test versus your your live customers, and this is also an extension of um, you know a lot more sophisticated CI/CD pipelines and build up with we're taking place in in telcos meaning that they see the end-to-end -end network as a product in the same way as you might see a software lifecycle as a product and um, and therefore um, you're managing change whether it's introducing a patch adding a new technology or a new vendor and you're seeing that within the ci cd pipeline you've mm -hmm. modeled that in your your twin or um, at least a more sophisticated version of your lab now that you're going to call a digital twin um, before you then push it out to the network. And remember that push for the most part today is a software push, not you know, somebody driving a truck and installing a piece of hardware. And you know, I think the industry is learning a lot from the, not just the hyperscopes, but the, the you know, big content providers. I mean, Netflix you know, very famously had a, a blog that they, they put out to describe how they were scaling the network and, and things like, you know, you push to just say in our in our world to ten radio nodes and or, mm -hmm. uh, or head ends, and you, you you test that. Does that work? If that didn't break, then you push it to another ten and another ten, and and you grow the scaling and testing that way. And you've always got a rollback of that. So um, a lot of things that you know my colleagues over in our consulting group do is 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 basically help telcos set up these CI/CD pipelines so that mm -hmm. um, they they can have this, this this model and the ability to push and pull and change dynamically in the network and, and obviously use AI in, in, the, in the predictive stage of the, the lab and the digital twin, but also in the live network too. Yeah. And, and how far down are we in terms of, of um, the adoption of AI as you're describing it in telco? You know, how is it, oh, okay. uh, are we in our youth or are we, are we we're, entering? We're definitely in our youth. And um, you know, obviously some telcos are ahead of others, right? There's a lot of, um, you know, you, you hear telcos kind of bickering among each other, right? Of like, well, you've got you've got a much younger network than I have. You don't have these problems, and therefore it's it's easy for you to do it, right? Um, and and so uh, you know, we, we see see telcos in Europe, for example, use um, some of the, their smaller markets to um, to drive change because they've got a, a smaller footprint, often newer technology in, in those environments. So um, you know, we are encumbered by legacy for sure. Um, as, as an industry, and uh, and, and so uh, we're also encumbered um, in networking just by how many vendors are in the ecosystem. And, and if you think about you know, the, you know, why haven't we really risen to levels of automation and AI in networking as we have in compute? Well, because in compute, there's only like three or four different platforms really you're going to run on, right? Um, 
versus in our world, there's three or four different vendors in every single space, all of which have got a completely different viewpoint on on how to pull data or how to how to model their equipment. Um, so, you know, we, we don't see that changing um, anytime soon. Um, so the question is, how do we normalize that level of data, um, that level of input? And it's, it's normalization two ways. How do you normalize the orchestration and management of that? And how do you normalize the pulling of data of that? Um, you know, I, I, before I joined IBM, I, I, I spent two years, three years um, running a startup called Lumina Networks, where uh, we were using open daylight as a, as a mechanism of normalizing it, of normalizing things. And, you know, as open source um, it was, was one direction. Um, ultimately, and a lot of time we're spending is, is, is how do we apply technologies that quickly onboards a new vendor and, and produces a common model that we can use for that management and, and data collection. And by doing that, we, we you know, we, we think we, we help the industry get to this place where, yeah, you can bring in this legacy, you can bring in the new and, and provide this end to end, you know, um, you know, performance and value of service. Uh, it, it was interesting last, last year, as, as I'm sure your readers will uh, remember, um, there were quite a few very large outages um, at telcos. And, yeah. um, so I think um, this year there's definitely a renewed attention, should we, should we say, from the CTOs of, of telcos around resiliency and reliability. And the reality is with every new vendor, with every new system that's deployed, the, the risks kind of go up. So so that, yeah. that, that model of moving to CICD and normalizing um, um, the digital twin model is, is, is really important for that prediction and, and, and frankly, keeping your job through, through <laughs> all the challenges that are ahead of us, right? Yeah, and I mean, it's a whole other discussion, but the point you bring up about you know, that resiliency and, and uh, you know, the added uh, risk is something that, uh, you know, when we talk about open RAN, when, when you look at the radio access network is, is you know, something that's brought up. I'm, there's a lot of work being done around that, I know, but it's just something that keeps keeps appearing. And, you know, I was talking to, to an industry exec um, a couple of days ago, and, and he told me that, you know, getting getting CSPs, you know, to work together is like herding cats. But I feel like that just applies to just about the whole ecosystem, right? Where, uh, you know, obviously there's there's standardization and whatnot. But when it comes to the granular implementation, it's tricky to to get everyone to to row in the same direction. And then, uh, you know, I think it brings up the issues that that you're describing here. Yeah, for sure. And I I think you know, as, as IBM, we're we're fairly uniquely placed. Um, to to help in this world. I mean, I, I, one of the things when you build a strategy for a company is you, you, you kind of define what, what you're going to do, but you also define what you're not going to do. Right? So we don't want to be in the business of, of radio. Right? We don't mm-hmm. want to be in the business of making you know, 5G cores, right? That's, that's not our world. Um, and by doing that, we end up partnering um, with many of the, the industry vendors um, because you know, they have to operate in this they're not an island they have to operate in this heterogeneous environment and so that 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 common cause if you like um means that we, we do get to a place where we, we end up um, partnering um way more than we compete um, and, and and that yeah. leads to better outcomes for our customers as a result absolutely well sadly we're running out of time here and and uh, you know i think i'm trying to time this exactly to how long it takes to get a taxi after MWC. <laughs> you know, if someone started listening to us as they kind of left the venue, they might be just about reaching their vehicle. So, uh, Andrew, before we, we let you go here, 
thinking about beyond MWC, um, you know, 2023, maybe the next 12 months. Um, you've mentioned a lot of big trends here uh, over the last 24 minutes or so. Um, you know, what what's something that you would leave the listeners with to look out for? What's your big uh, takeaway or, or prediction, rather, for, for the year? Right. Well, um, so it's, it's going to sound really esoteric, um, but 5G chip prices. Yeah. Um, so right now, sitting at about $40 for the chip, um, not including all the ancillary antenna stuff, um, we think that's going to halve this year. So why is that important to, to our world? Well, of course, it means most of the phones that will ship will likely ship with 5G in them by the end of the year. So that's our transition as an industry. Um, to my mind, more importantly, it's, it means that those, those chipsets and, and all the things that go around them go downstream into more IoT devices. So to put it in context... A 2G chipset costs about $2. Wow. Now, those are still being deployed, right? I mean, telcos can't turn off 2G networks, you know, particularly with, with sensors that are in the middle of nowhere that can just get a, you know, a 2G signal or a blood blood something. That's, that's there, right? So the faster we get the 5G chipset prices down, the more devices that get deployed, the more um, bandwidth we can reallocate into that. Um, and um, the more we've got a, got a universal way by which these devices will, will connect and access the network. Brilliant. So well, all that's fun to come. Yeah, a lot, lot of big implications there, and, and I'm sure Andrew will, will have the opportunity to catch up with you and see how that's, uh, how that's come about and, and what impact it's had. But for now, um, you know, we were talking before the call about how uh, you know, how full MWC mode we're all in. So we're going to let you get back to the many things I'm sure that are occupying your mind. But thank you so much uh, for joining us. Um, Thanks, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to hear what you're working on and, and what you're looking forward to. Oh, it's been great to talk with you. And uh, hopefully I'll, I'll see you at the show, perhaps. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I've been invited and I'll be there and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look closely and I look forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks. Excellent. And to you, listener, thanks as always for joining us for another week here at the Five Nine Podcast. As always, remember to subscribe and let us know what you think. Until then, take care and stay safe. You've been listening to the Five Nine, Fierce Telecom's official telecom and technology podcast. Get the latest telecom and technology news at our websites, FierceWireless.com, FierceElectronics.com, FierceTelecom.com, and FierceVideo.com. See you soon.